Well, our worship continues this morning with the reading of God's Word. If you have a Bible with you, I invite you to turn now to Genesis chapter 41. And we'll be reading verses 1 through 16. Uh, It will also be projected on the screen behind me and on the various monitors throughout the sanctuary. Genesis 41, verses 1 through 16. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke, and he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I. And having a dream with its own interpretation, a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When, he, when we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. It's Genesis 41, verses 1 through 16, and we will continue communicating God's word to you on such a special day. Thank you so much to all of you who have uh, been faithful stewards to your children. Uh, I know that it is such a blessing to see your examples here in the church. Um, And at the same time, I I recognize that some of us are missing our mothers, either because they're far from us or because they're no longer here. And so as we pray for uh, the ministry of God's Word today, let's also pray for those of us who, who are longing for our mothers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God who is moving among us. We thank you, Lord, for this church, for this community. We thank you, Lord, for uh, the work that you're doing among us. We thank you especially for, as Pastor Ralph prayed, Lord, our mothers and the blessing that they've been in each of our lives, uh, even for those of us who uh, are not their children. Lord, we pray that you would continue to be with those who... Uh, are are longing for for their mothers because they're far from us, those who have passed on, Lord. Lord, would you bring comfort to us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move among us as we prepare ourselves to receive your word. Would you be with me, Lord? Would you guide me as your steward, as your effective minister, Lord, of your word? We thank you and we love you and we pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. 
The first time I saw Meredith do it, I was appalled. We were in high school, and Meredith was reading a novel. She had already read about a quarter of the book, but then I watched in horror as she put a bookmark in her place, skipped to the last chapter, and began reading the ending of the story. What are you doing? I asked her in disbelief. But Meredith was unfazed. She looked back at me innocently as if she hadn't committed a terrible crime. I'm reading the ending. But you're going to ruin it. You can't just skip to the end. You know what she said to me? You know what she told me as a response to my questioning? She said, how else am I supposed to know whether the book is worth my time? I want to know if I should keep reading or not. I couldn't believe it. The girl who had stolen my heart was also a literary thief, stealing the end of the story before it was ready to be received. It's taken a few years, but I sort of get it now. Not the reading strategy. I will never understand that part. But as a strategy for life, that I can understand. Think about it. If I could skip ahead a few chapters from time to time to see where life is going, to find out where the ending is heading, I think I could get behind that. You see, there have been moments, this past month even, when I wish I could just skip ahead a month or two and find out whether the ending is to my liking. Moments that feel like tests of faith or exercises and perseverance, moments where I can't see where the next step is. It's in these moments where I wish I could see where things were heading. You ever wish you could see the end of a difficult situation? You ever wish you could see ahead just a little bit to see if you would make it out all right? To see if it worked out for good or if you were still in that same dark place? I don't think it's too much to ask. I don't even know if I need the full picture. I just want a glimpse, a, bit, a brief bit of information, some kind of insight that will give me some assurance I need to know that God is up to something, that God actually knows what he's doing. When it feels like you've been searching in the dark, any tiny bit of light is just enough to get you through. Our story today serves as a bit of light for all of those who have been searching in the dark. It is a story about understanding and wisdom. It is a story that gives us insight into the very mind of God, revealing to us what in the world He is up to. If you've ever been in a place where you weren't sure what God was doing and wanted insight into the mind of God, please turn with me back to the book of Genesis near the end of our story, to Genesis chapters 40 and 41. Genesis chapters 40 and 41. We're going to continue in the life of Joseph, Jacob's favorite son, and meet him once again in Genesis chapters 40 and 41. Joseph, you'll remember, is in prison for a crime he did not commit. In a land that is not his home, but no matter where he goes, the Bible tells us that the Lord was with Joseph. 
in Egypt as a slave sold by his own brothers working in Potiphar's wife uh, Potiphar's house the Lord was with Joseph in prison as a convict for a crime he did not commit the Lord was with Joseph no matter where Joseph goes God is there beside him because the Lord is with Joseph his work prospers even in prison he is put in charge of all of the prisoners because the Lord was with Joseph. Look at the first part of verse 1 in chapter 40. Sometime after this. I want you to pay close attention to the time markers in this story. Right here in verse 1, the story begins looking at the clock. And a lot of time has passed. After some time had passed, two officials in Pharaoh's court were thrown into prison. The two men were important kitchen staff. Between the two of them, most of what touched Pharaoh's mouth went through their hands and went, in, went before their, inspect, uh, their inspection. The cupbearer, he was the one who prepared and administered whatever the Pharaoh was going to be drinking. The baker cooked or prepared or oversaw whatever the, the Pharaoh was going to be eating. But for some reason, we don't know why, the text doesn't tell us, but for some reason, they had displeased the Pharaoh. Maybe he didn't like the taste of his last meal, or maybe he felt sick after eating what they had served him. And so as a result of his displeasure, they found themselves in prison. Not just any prison. The prison where where Joseph had been set himself. One night... In their prison beds, these two officials each had a dream. Now, I don't know how you dream, but my dreams are mostly confused and nonsensical. But these dreams, these two men remembered their dreams. They were vivid and obviously full of significance and meaning. The only problem was they couldn't figure out what the dreams meant. Next morning, Joseph came down to see them. See, he was put in charge of all of the prisoners. It was his job, it was his responsibility to look after each of the prisoners. And I imagine he is coming perhaps with some breakfast, some food for them to eat in the morning. So he sets the plate before these two prisoners. And they don't even look up to greet him. They don't even touch the food that's set before him. And Joseph asks them a question. He says, why are your faces downcast? They don't need to say a word. It's obvious that they are depressed. Why are you depressed? Joseph asks. The two men didn't meet his eyes. In unison, they responded and said this. We both had dreams last night. But there is no one here to interpret them. So here we are, distressed that we don't know what the dreams are about. They were in the dark. It was as if they had been given this incredible gift, but lacked the ability, lacked the necessary tools to unlock it. They had received insight, knowledge, but they didn't have the means to understand what they had seen. And Joseph says this to them. Do not interpretations come from God? Do they not belong to God? Please, tell them to me. What did Joseph know that these men did not. He knew God. 
He knew that it was Yahweh, the one true God, who could give insight and understanding. But most importantly, he knew that he was a servant of Yahweh. Yes, of course, it is God to whom these dreams belong. But what does he tell these two men to do? He says, please, tell them to me. Joseph is a servant of God. He is an instrument in the hand of God. He has been given such intimate access to God that to share these dreams with Joseph is as if to stand before God and gain understanding. Let's try that again. It's as if to gain understanding from the very mouth of God to speak to Joseph. To share the dream is to listen to God's wisdom. So the chief cupbearer, he speaks first and told Joseph his dream. He said, I dreamt that there was a vine in front of me. And on the vine, there were three branches. And then very quickly, these three branches began to give forth to life. There were buds and then uh, blossoms. And then these blossoms turned into clusters of ripe grapes. And then I saw my hand and I had in my hand Pharaoh's cup. And I pressed the grapes into the cup and then I handed it to Pharaoh. Then Joseph said to the chief cupbearer, this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. When you are restored back into your place, he says, remember me. Remember that I'm here. Remember that I have been placed in this land that is not my home unjustly. Remember that I have been convicted of a crime that I did not commit. Please remember me when you are restored to your place at Pharaoh's side. The chief baker listens to this interpretation and he hears that it's a pretty good one. He had a similar dream and so he says to Joseph, Joseph, will you tell me what my dream means? I had a very similar dream. I I dreamt that I had three bread baskets on my head. And at the top of uh, this, this hat structure that I was wearing, at the very highest basket, there were all sorts of breads that I used to bake for Pharaoh. There were baked pies, there were rolls, there were sourdough breads, there were desserts, all the kind of breads that Pharaoh loved. But then there were these birds and they kept picking at the basket. They kept eating from the basket. Tell me, what does my dream mean? Well, it's not the same kind of dream, baker. Joseph looks at the baker and says, this is the interpretation of your dream. So just like the first dream, the three baskets are three days. And at the end of these three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head, but you will be hanged. You will not return to your position of authority. You're going to lose your life. Now, the interesting thing is, is that we don't get a response from the baker. We don't know if he believed the dream. We don't know if he was, uh, if he continued to be depressed. All we know is what happens at the end of the three days. At the end of the three days, just as Joseph had said, it all happened. Pharaoh threw a special feast to celebrate his birthday. He invited all of his servants and even called for the chief cupbearer and the chief baker from their prisons. 
He welcomed the cupbearer and restored him to his place, handing him the cup to continue his duties. But the baker put him on a tree, took his life. Joseph's words were true. Truly, he had remarkable insight and wisdom. It was as if he had been invited into the council of God and was able to hear the unfolding of history. And yet, despite his remarkable insight and his incredible work, he remained in prison. Look at verse 23. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. In three days, the cupbearer had gone from being depressed in prison to celebrating a feast with Pharaoh, but he did not remember Joseph. Do you notice the redundancy in this verse? It's as if the narrator is trying to point something out. He says, he did not remember Joseph. Oh, did you not catch it the first time? He forgot him. Despite all that he had done for him, despite all of the insight and wisdom Joseph had, at the end of this chapter, Joseph is still in prison. And then there's another time reference, the beginning of the next episode. Chapter 41 begins with this time reference and it says, After two whole years. Don't rush past the time markers in this story. The narrator won't let us forget that time is running laps around Joseph. People move on, but Joseph is still sitting in that prison cell for the crime that he did not commit. How long, O oh Lord, we ask sometimes. How long will I be in this terrible situation? How long until you see a way out for me? Some of you know that feeling all too well. Time keeps passing you by and things aren't changing accordingly. If that's where you are this morning or if that's a place that you've been before, I want you to hear this story carefully. I want, to, I want you to see yourself with Joseph as the narrator marks each of the passing days. How long, Lord? What are you doing? Two whole years later, Pharaoh has a dream. The king of Egypt, he has a dream. And in his dream, he was standing by the Nile River. And out of the river came out seven cows. These cows were big and fat. I mean, they were magnificent. And they came out of the Nile and they began to graze on the grass. They ate from the grass and Pharaoh watched as these beautiful animals stood there on the banks. But then these other seven cows came out of the river also. And these weren't big and fat and magnificent like the first cows. These were sick and ill-deformed. Ill and they stood next to the other cows. And, Joseph, uh, and, and, the, and the passage tells us that they opened up their mouth and they ate the other cows. Pharaoh was disturbed. He woke up. And then sleep caught him a second time. And he falls asleep a second time and he tells, uh, he, 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 it says that he had this dream that there were seven grains of of, uh, or seven ears of grain. They were full and, and beautiful. I mean, they were really 
uh, really great pieces of, of grain, the kind of grain that Carrie always talks about coming from Iowa. And these things were really full. Pharaoh looks at the grain, he looks at the field, and he says, this looks pretty good. But then all of a sudden there were these other seven ears of grain. They were tiny and they were missing particular kernels and they were dry and, and they were no good for anything. And all of a sudden they opened up and swallowed the good pieces of grain. Pharaoh woke up the next morning and was completely disturbed by his dream. He had no idea what was happening. He was, it says that his soul was distressed. He was concerned. And so Pharaoh, being the king of the land, being the most important man, he wanted to gain insight. He wanted understanding. But Pharaoh was left in the dark. He called the magicians of Egypt, men experienced in the art of dream interpretation. And he called all of the wise men of Egypt, hoping that someone could tell him what these dreams meant. Pharaoh called them before him and he told them all about his dreams. And not one of them could interpret the dream. Not one of them can offer an explanation to understand what in the world was happening. No one had insight, no one had understanding to share with Pharaoh. And in that moment, as the cupbearer is hearing all of these things and seeing that no one has any ability to give understanding to Pharaoh, he remembers. It's as if something turns on inside of him and he remembers when he was in prison with the baker. He remembers that there was a young man... Uh, a Hebrew who was able to hear dreams and interpret these dreams. He says to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, I think I know somebody. He's in prison. You should go and ask him to interpret the dreams because in him is the ability to understand these things. He has understanding and wisdom. You need to ask him about these dreams. So after hearing this, verse 14 tells us that Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph. And they quickly brought him out of the pit. They brought him out of the prison. They shaved him and changed his clothes, removing the old, dirty prison garb, and gave him something clean to wear. Can you see the power that Pharaoh has? Do you see the honor given to him? Every time Pharaoh sends and calls, it seems as though the whole kingdom rushes to respond to his call. Even before Joseph can come before Pharaoh, he needs to be cleaned up because that is what is fitting to the most important man in the whole land. He is powerful, worthy of honor. It is like he is a God himself. But you know what the story makes clear about Pharaoh? He is just like everybody else. He's in the dark. He has no understanding. He has no knowledge as to what in the world is happening. And he is seeking to find out what, how can I gain understanding about these dreams. He might be the most important man in his kingdom, but his kingdom is without sight and does not have understanding. So he tells his dream to Joseph. He says to Joseph, Joseph, I have explain this dream to everyone in front of me and no one could tell me what it means. I brought forth the magicians, I brought forth the wise men, and no one had any insight. Somebody told me that you have insight. 
that you have wisdom, that you have this ability to interpret these things. What does Joseph say? He says, it's not me. There is nothing inside of me that gives me the ability to interpret these things. There is no sort of strength or gifting or insight that I have, but it all comes from God. Tell me your dream and God will surely tell you what it means. So the Pharaoh tells him the dream. He tells him about the cows and about the, the ears of grain. And he says to Joseph at the end of that, of that uh, retelling, he says, no one has been able to figure it out. Almost as if it's a test for Joseph. Tell me if you know the answer to these dreams. And Joseph says to him, the Lord will surely tell you what is going to happen. God has given you insight this day. He has given you favor because God is explaining to you what he is about to do in this land. He says these two dreams are one and the same. They're told to you two times because it is a guarantee that God is surely going to do it and he wants you to listen to his word. So he says there are seven years. The fat beautiful cows, the full ears of grain, those are seven years of prosperity, seven years of plenty. The land will flourish and there will be uh, this, this, this wonderful bounty for all the land and all the people. But then the next seven years will be seven years of famine. And those will be very hard years on the land. And it will swallow everything up. And Joseph looks at Pharaoh and says, listen, Pharaoh, if I could advise you, I would tell you that it would be in your best interest to set someone up who is wise and discerning. Someone who has understanding and insight because this is what you ought to do. That person needs to have oversight over all the land so that in the land of plenty you can keep some of that plenty and save it up so that you can preserve your people and preserve the land and really preserve the whole world. He says you should set someone up to do that work. And Pharaoh, who was depressed, who was despondent, it says that he was satisfied with this answer. He was, it brought pleasure to his ears to hear this. And he looks around and he says, is there anyone else who is more wise than this man? All of you were not able to interpret this dream, but this man is wise and discerning. God has surely revealed to him what he is about to do. He looks at Joseph and he says, I will appoint you. You are going to be my man. You are going to be the one who has authority over all the land. I am Pharaoh and there is no one who has more authority than me. And the authority that I'm going to give you will be second only to me. Joseph had been in prison, falsely accused, sold into a land that was not his own. And the most important man, the most powerful man in this land, said, I am going to place you in a position of power and authority. Here, take these royal robes, take this signet ring, because you will be a powerful man. So the story keeps going. It tells us that Joseph did exactly as he instructed. He set out this, this system, this incredible administrative system that was able to take uh, a, a, a fifth of all that was produced during the years of plenty. He was able to store them in the storehouses. And look what the scriptures say. 
This is verse 49. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, the sand of the sea until, uh, like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Look how successful Joseph was. He was so good at this job that after a while it was pointless to measure how much he was keeping. And then when the years of famine came, he was able to preserve all of the world. He was able to give to the Egyptians. He was able to give to other nations. And all of a sudden we are reminded of that promise that seems long ago. What was the promise given to Abraham? Abraham would be blessed, his children would be blessed, and his children would be a blessing to the whole world. And for the first time, we begin to see this this promise coming forth. All of a sudden, we see a descendant of Abraham blessing the whole world. And then Joseph has two children. And what he says about these children is quite profound and is a testimony to all that God was doing. He says this, verse 51, Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me forget all of my hardship and all of my father's house. All of that pain and suffering I had, all of that sorrow, God has restored it to me. Then he has a second child and he says, he called him Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. In the land that was not my home, in the land where I suffered most, God has caused me to be fruitful in this land. I want us to think about this. As we come to a close of this narrative, what can it say to us? People who sometimes feel as if we're going in the dark, wondering what is in the mind of God. What comfort can we have? What, what instruction, what, what insight can we glean from a story like this? In times when we're struggling, in times when we are confused. I want to draw three insights from the life of Joseph here in this story. First of all, Joseph learned that God will always preserve his people. That is a guarantee. It didn't matter how far Joseph went. It didn't matter how far from home Joseph was. He knew, he learned that God was for him, God was with him, and God will always preserve his people. That is the testimony of all of Scripture. Time and time again throughout these passages, we see that God preserves his people because he is with us, because he loves us, and because he is for us. Do you know what we believe, church? Good news, Bible church. Do you know what you and I testify to when we come here on Sunday mornings? We make the claim, we believe that our God has guaranteed this. Why? Because we believe in our resurrected Lord. We believe that the Son of God died not only for our sins, but He was raised from the dead as a guarantee that God is faithful as first fruits of what is to come, as a guarantee that you and I will not see death, we will not see decay, but Jesus is proof that you and I will be raised from the dead. God will preserve his people. You might be in a dark place. You may be unsure of what God is doing right now. 
You can rest assured from the life of Joseph, from the testimony of Scripture, from the testimony of the resurrection of the Son of God, that God is for you, God is with you, and he will always preserve his people. Take heart. Remember our confession. Remember why we are joined together as God's people. We are joined together as a community that has been redeemed by Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter how long you've been in this state. Jesus is our guarantee. Joseph is further proof that God will always preserve his people. That's the first lesson that we learn from this story. The second lesson is this. Throughout this narrative, we see two different kingdoms trying to make sense of the world. The first kingdom is the kingdom of Pharaoh. He's the head of this kingdom. He had absolutely no clue what was happening. He was just like his chief officers. They had this dream and they had no clue what was happening. They had no insight, no knowledge. The Pharaoh was just like his magicians and his wise men. He sought for someone who had insight, who had understanding, who could tell what was happening in this world. But they had none. They had no clue what was happening. Do you know what kingdom you and I are a part of? We are members of the kingdom of God. This kingdom that has begun to interrupt this present age, this present earthly reign. And here we have been given, as Paul says in the New Testament, insight into the mysteries of God. It has been revealed to us what God is doing in this world. You and I have insight because we are members of the kingdom of God. We know what God is up to. God is seeking to redeem his creation. He is seeking to restore his people through the ministry of Jesus Christ and by his spirit that indwells us as his people. This is who we are. We are a kingdom people and we have insight and knowledge that others do not. So when we're trying to make sense of this world, when we're trying to make sense of our experiences, we have an interesting insight. We have something that no one else has. We are like Joseph who have been invited into the council of God. We have been given access to understanding that the rest of the world does not have. We know where the story is going. We know that we serve a victorious king. A king who is coming back to establish his reign. And we have hope and can be testimonies of this very hope. That is who we are. Good news, Bible Church, we are a, pe a people who belong to God's kingdom. The third lesson that we must learn from this story has to do with that very truth. The third lesson is that while God was preserving Joseph, he was preserving him to be able to use him as his agent for his kingdom. Joseph was an instrument in God's hand. Joseph was the means by which God was, was pouring forth his blessing to the world. You and I, as a community, are called to be a blessing to this world. A blessing to this community. Could you imagine what it would look like if we understood our stewardship in the same way that Joseph understood his stewardship. Joseph understood that he was an instrument of God and that his responsibility was to bless the people, not just in word, but in deed as well. What would it look like for us 
as a church, not just as individuals, not just in our respective workplaces, but what if we as a church understood our responsibility as blessings to this community? What would it look like? I want to give us three, two images and one question for us to answer. Just two examples, not to say that this is the definitive way that you and I, as a church, are members that are blessing this community. But these are just two images to provide insight and give us direction for what it might look like. The first direction is to think about the relationship that we've already been engaged in with Chase Elementary School. Could you imagine if we so committed ourselves to serving that school, that we were able to make testimony to who we are and what we believe about this world. And imagine this. What if over the summer and into the early fall, we got a roster of all of the teachers who teach at Chase Elementary School, and we prayed for them weekly, daily as a church, as individuals, And what if at the start of the school we gave them a gift as a token of our appreciation for for caring for the children of this community and also as an important declaration that we know that we have a great high priest who has given us access to the throne of grace, who has invited us to receive God's mercy and his grace because we know that he is able to hear our needs and he is able to provide for our needs. Could you imagine what a testimony that would be? Could you imagine what uh, individuals who we've never met before, individuals who do not know the Lord, do you imagine what they might think about this great mystery that we've been given, about this great truth that we believe? What an incredible testimony that might be to this community. What if another image might be to think about our welcome ministry? Not just as something that a few people do on Sundays and they stand before the doors, but what if it so radically changed the way we thought about this place and the way we thought about this community that it so caused us to not just uh, rely on some of us to be a part of that ministry, a part of that team, but all of us saw it as our responsibility to welcome everyone into our fellowship, the fellowship that we have been brought together by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Imagine that. This is what we are. We're a community. We're a fellowship. We eat at the Lord's table because God has brought us together. Could you imagine if we all had an attitude, a disposition to welcome everyone in this community to say, come and see what a diverse community reconciled by God looks like. I want to welcome you. Not just on Sunday mornings as I'm, as I'm standing by the door, but Every day I'm in this community, whenever I go to the park, whenever I'm going to the store, whenever I'm getting gas, I have this disposition that welcomes people, invites them into our lives to say, this is what a healthy community looks like. A community that is working on some things. A community of sinners that is brought together not by our good, not by our abilities, Not by what is in us, as Joseph says, but by what God has done for us. What if we could do that? The last question I want to leave us with is this. What does our community need? They need the gospel. What else does our community need? What are ways in which you and I can make testimony to the message that we believe, not only in word only, but in deed, in actions, 
how can we be testimonies of what God is doing in this place so that this whole community can see a difference in our lives? What does our community need? I think it's an important question that we should be asking week after week in our small groups, in our conversations together, in our accountability groups, in our homes. What does our community need so that they might see the love that God has blessed us with, to see the love that God has lavished on us? This is our calling. We've been in the dark and God has said, I have reveal to you my mysteries, my beautiful working out of redemption in this world. Now go and testify to that very fact. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great